Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Miss Purrington. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. Please rate and review us if you're listening to us. Uh, rate us on, on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows, and now an events page for live shows featuring the best in Austin comedy in all its shapes and formats, and recently added a Houston comedy events page. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. Today, I am sitting down with somebody who traded in his military life for the comics life. Uh, he is a comic based in Austin, but he's performed in Laredo, Temples, and he's gone as far as Oklahoma and Colorado to make people laugh. And he's actually about to launch a tour uh, uh, very shortly. He's actually performed on our uh, isolation comedy show, our online show last year, where we got a flavor of his hard work ethic. And this is just my opinion. I think his sense of storytelling is a unique mix of down-home Texan Molly Ivins, for those of you who remember that journalist, and a little bit of the absurdist David Sedaris. Uh, he, he is partner, along with his wife Amy, in Turn to Entertainment, a comedy production company here based in Central Texas. And now, Comedy Wham presents our guest, Shannon Muggridge. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I love the Molly Ivins reference, man. I loved her. Yeah. You know, I've only seen you perform on stage. Well, I guess there was the isolation show last year. And then I think I've seen you maybe once or twice uh, live. And I really uh, need to see somebody like, you know, a hand more than a handful of times to really get a flavor. So I, I went to YouTube and I, uh, you know, watched a couple of your videos, and that's when it it struck on me that that was, to me, that was the vibe that I got. You know, the Molly mm -hmm. Ivans mixed with David Sedaris. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Shannon, welcome, and uh, I like to kick these off with an icebreaker question. So, are you ready? Sure, go for it. All right. One word to describe your past. <laughs> I don't know one word to cover it. Uh, <laughs> one word to describe my past would be uh, interchangeable. That's oh, that's good interesting. Because uh, I, I have probably, I've told Amy before that uh, my life has about four chapters and they're all just completely different. Like, uh, I grew up in West Texas out in the oil field area during the uh, bus time. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I had a uh, pretty, pretty substantial uh, drug phase till about 25. And then I joined the military and then I got married and now I'm a dad and now I'm a comic. So yeah, it's, it's always, it seems like every time it's a 180 turn, every time that it changed. So yeah. Yeah. This is the last change though, man. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> Uh, you said you grew up in in West Texas, so you are, and especially if you're you're growing up, you know, in the oil field industry part of of West Texas, mm -hmm. 
it's a very interesting way of growing up when you're <laughs> so reliant on one industry in the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah. Uh, do you have any any comedic memories from from growing up? Like things that struck you as very funny, or did you watch things that were funny? I didn't do a whole lot of memory enhancing drugs. Uh, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, I, yeah, I don't know about cursing on here, so I'll be careful. But uh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Sorry. I like to, I like to tell people when I was growing up in Odessa, there's an old saying: it's the only thing to do in Odessa is drink, fight, and fuck. And I was only really good at drinking. <laughs> so. Now, Odessa is an interesting place, man. It really is. It's a, uh, like I said, when we grew up, when I was growing up, it was in the bus time. My dad got transferred there in 1980, I think it was. And uh, that's the year I started kindergarten. And uh, it, it, we moved there and that's right when the bus uh, hit. And my mom always told this story that my dad, uh, whenever he was working for a trucking company called J.R. Rose. And uh, whenever they told him he was transferred, we were living in Houston. And when they told him he was transferring, he's like, anywhere but Odessa. And they're like, guess where you're going? Oh, boy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but we ended up staying there until I graduated high school. And uh, it was just, uh, it's an interesting, I wouldn't want to raise my kids the way that I was raised in the area that I was raised. I don't uh, have anything against anybody in Odessa. Don't get me wrong. It's uh, just, uh, when I, turned 19 we moved on me and my brother moved to austin and i was like wow texas has rivers and grass and trees. <laughs> this is crazy i've never never imagined this man yeah yeah so i didn't hear a single comedic <laughs> a single oh. funny thing <laughs> so uh i mean i don't want to say that your life was joyless before <laughs> your move but uh i know i know from the stage and the things that that i've seen seen you talk about that your your growing up life was very interesting yeah now so my mom was a stripper uh, my dad was a truck driver they hung out with bikers uh it was uh always something i tell everybody all the time that uh, we grew up in uh like a warped version of wizard of oz you know instead <laughs> of lions and tigers and bears it was bikers and strippers and gays oh my you know it was a, <laughs> you know you never knew what was going to be. Usually if I answer the door, there's a 66% chance somebody's asking to borrow my mom's boots, you know? <laughs> but, uh, it was an interesting way to grow up. It really yeah. was. So. Yeah. But it, it, you know, I it, see, that was the normal then. So uh, now that I have kids and I look back at the way I grew up, I'm like, oh my God, no way. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, uh, definitely a, a different way of growing up than than I had. So, <laughs> so you moved to Austin, which uh, that would have been in the early 2000s or late no, 90s? 1995. Okay, all right. Um, okay, I was trying to think if we would, we would have crossed, you know, pads at all because I, I went to school uh, in Austin for a bit um, so yeah, I, didn't, I didn't go to UT until I got out of the Navy in 2010 uh, but uh, I I don't know if we'd have run in the same circles in 95 <laughs> <laughs> I was a totally different person I looked yeah. the same I, I had less gray hair I looked the same but, uh -huh. 
Yeah. I had the long, I had the long hair and all that, but I, uh, nah, so, it, go ahead. so uh, other than, than possibly trying to escape Odessa, what was it that drew you to Austin? Cause Odessa, you could have easily made a choice to go to Dallas. Yeah. You know, that was, uh, actually me and my brother actually moved to Arlington first and lived mm. there about eight months and, uh, moved back home. And then uh, we had a friend here in Austin that, uh, told us to come down and check it out and we did and we just never left hmm. and did you what did you do when you were here in austin as far as work well i mean how'd you keep busy uh <laughs> did a lot of drugs uh, <laughs> a lot of drugs uh mm-hmm. but nah i just did temp work and worked in the engineering field uh, did uh Basically anything I get paid. I worked uh, when I first moved here. I worked for out of uh, we lived. Me and my brother lived out in Spicewood, and I got a job with Willie Nelson's brother-in-law, oh. and so we worked out there on his ranch for a while, and uh, that was a pretty cool time. Yeah. And, uh, uh, got backstage passes of Luke and Bach. Uh, smoked out with Willie a bunch of times. Uh, wow. So, he's a really cool guy, man. He. Uh, he found out that we didn't have a place to stay. Me and my brother were staying. Well, we were staying in our car. It was a Dodge Charger, a 76 Dodge Charger. And everyone's like, oh, you lived in your car. I'm like, you ever seen a 76 Dodge Charger? It was like a mobile home, man. And, you know, <laughs> it really wasn't terrible. I mean, we were 19 and 17 and living at the lake in a car. It really wasn't that bad. You know, it, uh, I wouldn't do it now at 45, but yeah. uh, at 19, it really wasn't that bad. But Willie found out we were living in our car. He let us uh, come uh, hang out at his ranch, and he, they even built an outdoor shower for us. And uh, he has a movie set out there in Luck, and it's an old West uh, movie set. And he just uh-huh. let us sleep. You know, we could sleep in the buildings when we wanted to. Okay, now, if it was me telling this story, I would be super, super excited and, like, I mean, look, look at this amazing per chance uh, situation that I got myself in. And you're just, you know, like, it's just another day of the week. That's, I mean, <laughs> did, did you realize how cool that was that you were getting to, you know, Oh yeah. W- Willie's yeah. always been an icon, you know, in country oh, yeah. music and, and, and other. And Austin. Yeah. yeah. No, no, we didn't realize how cool it was then, man. But uh, it's, uh, there's one thing that I learned and I've told a bunch of comics this too, something that I learned. Cause after that, uh, me and my brother did concert promotions for Island records for about three years. And so oh. we got, sent, we got sent to about six or seven concerts a month for about three years. And, uh, again, when you're 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, that's the coolest. He didn't pay anything. Uh, and when I say didn't pay anything, it paid zero. <laughs> it didn't pay anything. But uh, we were the guys at the concerts that were handing out stickers and CDs and things like that. So they'd send us a whole bunch of stuff. We'd get free tickets to the concert. We'd go to the concert. And so, but during that time, I met a ton of famous people. And so one of the things I've told a few comics here is that, look, man, I've met a whole bunch of famous, and, you know, I'm not a name dropper, but I've met a whole bunch of famous people. And one thing that I realized from talking to every one of them is they're just normal people. They're just uh-huh. talent. They're just talented. They're talented uh, people. But they're just normal people. And they all started off like we did. They all started off doing these shitty bars and these uh, 
places where people don't want to listen to them and they just work their way up. And so there's no reason why any of us can't be famous one day. You know, there's no reason why any of us can't take this to some extreme to, to, to the point to where you're making, you know, a decent living off of it. You just got to stay with it. And that's what I noticed though, with everybody that I uh, was around that was famous, they, their work ethic, you know, it was business, 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 get it done. And, uh, that's what I've tried to explain to some of the comics here, but a lot of them just love the drama. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've been accused of that too, because I don't know when to shut the hell up. So uh, <laughs> it's usually Amy. Amy's the one that's pulling me out of the fire that I got myself into. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's stay in that time frame Cause that, that essentially covers the second chapter of your life, right? yeah roughly yeah yeah and uh then chapter three is the navy of all things yeah well it was supposed to be the marine corps but uh when i went to the marines they told me i got in too much trouble to be a marine and i was like i thought that was a prereq you know (laughs) that that doesn't make any sense so now i uh in 2000 uh i would say 2001 i got busted with an ounce of weed coming back from Ozfest, and i got to, uh, put on probation for that and uh, while i was on probation 9 11 happened ah. and uh, and then i tried to join then and they told me well you can't be on probation and join the military you have to get off of probation first and uh, so i tried the marines marines didn't happen uh, navy ended up happening ended up doing seven years in the navy but there's one thing that falls back to Odessa when it comes to that too. And that was, I was in ROTC in high school for five years. Uh, ah. You could, um, I always wanted to join the military. That was always a goal of mine. And, uh, and when I turned 26 is whenever all that went down and nine uh, 11 was a big deal for me as far as joining the military too. And uh, once I got in it, well i wouldn't say once i got in i would say about a year after i got in it wasn't so bad the first year is always rough for everybody but mm-hmm. but yeah uh, the oh, go ahead okay so i i want to uh go back a little bit so you you you've grown up in odessa you uh want to get out you've been in the rotc for five years why didn't you join the military then oh because i felt piss test yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> Okay. All right. No, I, tried, I tried to join out of high school. I tried to join the army. I tried to join a bunch of branches. Finally, the Navy's like, yeah, come on, we'll take you. Mm-hmm. But uh, I tried to join the army out of high school and I failed a piss test. And they told me, well, you can't join for six months. And in that six months, I ended up moving to Dallas and then moving back and then moving to uh, Odessa. And uh, it just, the military was just the thing that uh, I kind of put on the back burner until, like I said, 9 11 happened. Yeah. And then 9-11 happened and I was on probation. My life wasn't going anywhere. It was just like you know, the military just seemed like the right move. Hmm. Yeah. So if, if you don't mind exploring, I'm, I'm interested because I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever met anyone that, you know, joined the military partly because of 9-11 and, um, you know, you can, you can tell me that this is a, a, a dumb generalization of, of your story as you've just told it to me, but you're kind of living a, a, a drifter's life you know you're just kind of floating oh, yeah. from different things so what was it you know when you live a drifter's life you don't really think about nationhood um yeah and so when i hear that somebody specifically joins the military service because of 9-11 which was a huge attack on nationhood 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm always curious as to you know what was it that that clicked for you to to make that choice. Oh, that one's easy. Uh, my entire family is military background. Mm-hmm. If you uh, you yeah. can uh, look up, we uh, we can trace all the way back to the Civil War. Uh, family huh. members that served and. Uh, it, it like I said, it was always something I wanted to do. It was always something that, and I've always been patriotic. And uh, you know, hell, hold on, real quick, Ducky. Sure, I need, Ducky. I need you to go upstairs, buddy. Yes, go. But no, it's uh, serving in my family. Uh, even men, women, all of us serve. Uh, I have a niece that's still in the army. She's a sergeant, staff sergeant now, I think. Uh, uh, we've all, I, I, I guess for. Uh, the last 20 years there's been four or five of us that have gone over there and uh it's just the I, you know living like you said living like a drifter lifestyle was always there but i was always patriotic and i was always uh the kind of guy that i was going to join the, i was always that guy i was going to join but i was going to uh-huh. join but and then 9-11 happened and it was like you need to get your butt in there you know yeah. and the thing is i always tell people too it wasn't that i was like anti-muslim anything like that i didn't want to just kill muslim that wasn't it i wanted to go fight bad guys that was Mm -hmm. it they came over here and attacked us i wanted to go over and do my part and uh i loved going to the middle east actually tell you the Mm -hmm. truth man it is such a beautiful place it really is and the people that i dealt with over there they were just always i mean don't you there's a couple assholes but i mean other than that most of the time there's people over there were just uh really nice and then they didn't have anything against americans as far as i ran across i mean i'm sure there's a bunch to do but i uh, i never ran into it mm-hmm. so it was a life-changing experience and i'm glad i did it uh, if i wouldn't have joined the navy I'd, i don't know where i'd be yeah yeah definitely uh, it redirects and focuses you and forces yeah. you to be disciplined i mean in a way that most people don't understand no, I had a I had a comic ask me last night because I, I ran that show we have in Temple last night while Amy huh? Lynn did uh, uh, Lakeway, and uh, one of the comics asked because that it was about ten minutes for the show and only one comic had shown up yet and I'm used to that you know I'm used sure. to that happening and uh, I was already telling uh, the owner like well nobody shows up I'll do an hour you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but. Uh, it's ingrained in me 15 prior 15 prior everywhere you know it's like there's a saying in the military if you're earlier on time if you're on time you're late and if you're late you're screwed uh-huh. and, yeah. uh, and uh, everybody was looking like they were going to be late man and uh, one of the comic the one comic that showed up he asked me he's like so were you like that before the military i was like oh god no i was late to everything all the time dude uh, like but uh, once you get in there and they ingrain that in you and you know, you only gotta get your ass chewed a couple of times for being late and you won't do it again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and everybody in the civilian world thinks they know what an ass chewing is. You don't know what an ass chewing is until you had a Navy <laughs> chief crawl all over you, man. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I, <laughs> I imagine it's like the, you know, a, a kid who gets yelled at by their parents, you know, the very first time when they see like their parent actually go bonkers on them. <laughs> it's probably something along those well, lines but, but well, on top of that though uh, on, in that scenario though you can't talk back yeah that's true you know, at least with your parents you can throw in a few jabs yeah. but, uh, in the military you can't do that yeah 
How long did you serve and uh, what, what made you leave? I was in seven years, one month and seven days. <laughs> uh -huh. And then that's on my DD-214. I just happened to see that one day and memorized it. Everybody thinks I was counting down. I really wasn't. But uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I got out because I got injured. I uh, hurt uh -huh. my neck and shoulder and uh, ended up having spinal fusion surgery. I have three plates with six screws in my neck and my Oof. shoulders messed up and my lower back's messed up. So. If that hadn't happened, do you think you would have stayed much, much oh, longer? Oh, definitely. If I would, if that wouldn't have happened, I would actually be coming up on 20 years in March of 2003 hmm. or March of 2020. Yeah. But um, no, I loved being in the military. I had, I made E6 in six years and the average for the job that I had for making E6 is was at the time around 12 to 14 years so i made it in six so i was i was doing well i, I did very well in the military i loved it and yeah. uh, i would definitely still be in if i wouldn't have got injured and amy was a baby was yeah, amy gets a lot of credit and deservedly she gets a lot of credit around the scene for the shows she runs she was the same exact way when, as a navy wife and uh, she got involved with the women's groups she got involved with the family groups. she got involved with everything that she could possibly get involved in and it helped my career it really did uh, because it's the same as in comedy you go around you have to show face you know you got to show up at places and show people that hey i'm here and i support you you know but she did the same thing in the military and it helped my career a lot okay so that's something i didn't realize you were married while you were serving yes yeah me and amy okay. met in the navy bar okay all right well that's my son. Uh, <laughs> okay, I need you to go in there. Stop it. Yeah, that's okay. the joy of parenthood. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, me, and Amy, me and Amy met at a Navy bar. She was working there. Huh, okay. So, so Shannon, so far, I haven't heard anything that remotely sounds funny about <laughs> your life and why you might be interested in doing comedy. So when does that happen? Uh, I, I, man, you know, I've always, I never even considered doing stand-up to tell you the truth. It never, uh, in my entire lifetime, I can say it probably never crossed my mind. I always loved stand-up. I used to watch it with my dad and, you know, with my dad, it was teaching Chong, George Carlin, uh, all the greats, you know, and uh -huh. um, I just, I never once, I, I don't ever remember once watching a stand-up on TV or in live, in person and thinking, you know what, I want to do that. And I don't know what caused it. I really don't. Uh, oh. Well, I know, I know when it happened. I went, uh, I took Amy uh, to the open mic at Cap City. It's about uh, three years ago. And uh, Colton Dowling was on stage oh. and, and uh, Colton called me out in the crowd. He, uh, he was talking about uh, doing <laughs> anal sex and oh, how God. to start it. And he's <laughs> like, and when you start off with anal sex, you got to start with the small dick. You get that, sir? And he pointed right at me. You oh. got that? I was like, yeah, I got it, man. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it was after that show that I thought, man, I wonder if I could do this. And I've told Colton that story a couple of times, but, uh, yeah, Colton Dowling got me started in comedy. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, the, like I said, I just, I never once considered doing stand-up. Uh, we just, uh, whenever I got out 
I had, uh, when I got out of the Navy, I had, uh, I think it was five surgeries in three years. And, uh, the VA had me on all kinds of painkillers, muscle relaxers, mood stabilizers, uh, when I'd wake up in the morning, I had to take about six pills every morning just to get out of bed. Wow. And, um, and this went on for about six or seven years. They were sending the VA would send me 120 hydrocodone tins a month. And uh, all I all I had to do to get a refill was call a 1-800 number and go through an automated system. And then they'd send me another bottle, 120 pills a month in the mail. Wow. And uh, one day I just decided I don't want to live like that anymore. And I uh, went to the VA and I told them, hey, I want to quit taking all these pills. And they're like, oh, you've been on these painkillers for six years. You can't just quit cold turkey. And I was like, well, I want to get weaned off of them. And they're like, well, if you do that, you got to go to physical therapy. You got to do that. And I told them, I've been to physical therapy. I've plateaued. I, there's nothing else that can be done for my shoulder and neck. And I told them, I just want to smoke weed because uh, that seems to work for me. And the doctor's like, wait, you smoke marijuana? And I was like, yeah, I have, yeah. And so they made me take a piss test. I failed the piss test. And they cut me off on all my pills right then and there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You it can't go cold turkey, though. Yeah, you can't go cold turkey. Wow. Oh, you yeah. yeah, fuck you. You smoke weed. Yeah, no more pills. So that's how I got off all the pills at the VA. Jeez. Uh, but uh, after wow. that happened, though, uh, you know, life, when you're, you're taking all those pills all the time, you're kind of in a cloud. You know, you're mm -hmm. in a daze all the time. And I quit taking them all. And it wasn't much longer that, you know, me and, I mean, and Amy just sat around one day. I was like, you want to go to Cap City and watch an open mic? And it's like, what? You know, we'd never mm -hmm. done that before. I used to go there before I went to the Navy to watch the open mics. But, uh, and uh, so we went about three times. And after the third time, that's when I told her, I think I want to try that. And at the time I was in uh, school for engineering and I was about a year away from an engineering degree. And uh, I told her that I wanted to try the open mic. And then about a month later, I told her, I want to drop out of school and do this full time. She's like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh boy. So you, you, uh, you're all in, you, you yeah. abandoned engineering and you're, you went all in on this. Yeah. I got tired of crying myself to sleep at night when I was trying to do the math. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a, a mathematician that hurts my heart, but that's okay. It's not, it's not for everyone. <laughs> uh, my oldest, uh, she was crying. She's 10 years old, man. She was upset the other day. And because she couldn't figure out her math. And I told her, I was like, crying does not make math go away. Trust me, I was an engineering major. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, since you hadn't, you know, you'd watched a little bit of stand-up with your dad, not a whole ton. You hadn't gone to see a lot of uh, live shows. When you get that inspiration to, to give it a shot for yourself, how do you how did you go about it? Did you know anything about uh, writing a joke? Did you study how to write a joke before you went in? Or did you just say, I'm just going to go up there? I, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the, <laughs> first, the first open mic, because uh, I was always that guy. I, it's funny because I was talking to another friend one day in an open mic. And I was like, you know, I was always that guy at the party that was standing around the keg telling funny stories, making everybody laugh. And he just kind of looked at me and was like, everybody in this room was that person, weren't they? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, now you got to be the funniest out of them. Uh -huh. And so the first time I ever went up, it was at Cap City. It was uh, the Cap City open mic. And uh, cause I was too stupid to know better that that was a comic <laughs> club, you know? And, uh, 
<laughs> I, uh, I went up and whenever I went up, um, whenever I went up, I, um, told my first joke and that was actually a joke that I tried to write and uh-huh. I told it and it bombed so bad. <laughs> I mean, it was just like cricket. I didn't even get a sympathy laugh. Nothing, man. It was just crickets. <laughs> And it was only like a 10 second joke. And I was like, oh shit, I got another three minutes and 50 seconds up here. <laughs> yeah, and so I just ditched everything that I was trying to do. And I uh, went into a story about the kids and it, it killed. I had a great set and uh, I was just hooked after that. And then the next time I went up was at Mr. Tramps and I ate a bag of dicks and realized that comedy is a lot harder than I thought it was. <laughs> and did you... Uh... How, how quickly did you realize that, that storytelling format of things from your life was the winning combination? Yeah, you know, it took a while, man. I tried to, you know, because every uh, comic, when they start, you know, they want to be the next Bill Hicks. They want to be the next George Carlin. They want to be the next, you know, they want to be profound from the start. And uh, sorry, nobody's profound from the start. <laughs> you, know, gonna, you have to earn that right, man. And I'm still not there. I, 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 there's still stuff. But now I'm at the point to where I can recognize that and know what I need to improve on. But whenever I first started, you know, I, I wanted to come out and do some politics. I wanted to come out and talk about certain things. But the stories about the kids always hit. And I was talking to another comic about it one day. And I was like, I don't want to be a dad comic. And he's like, does it hit? And I'm like, yeah, it works for me every time, man. It's annoying. And he's like, well, why don't you why don't you work on the stuff that hits? And then once you establish yourself with that, you can work in other stuff. And that's exactly what I've done. I, I, I touch on politics now. I don't try to stay too far into the weeds on that. I don't want to. I saw a thing from Bill Ingvall a while back and he said, it's not my job to offend people. And I can relate to that. You know, I, I, I like being relatable. I like, uh, I like it whenever I like doing conservative because I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a conservative, but I love doing conservative rooms because I can go in and I can relate with them. And even, even I've noticed that if, if I come in and I get the crowd on my side, I can even tell jokes about de- being a Democrat. I can tell jokes about politics and they still are on my side as long as you get them on your side first. And so it's like uh, Roderick McDaniel said last night. He's like, look, man, everybody in this room is you know, Republican, Democrat, black, white, everything else. He's like, we all have our differences. But for the last 40 minutes, we all laugh together. Yeah. One of the things that uh, struck me, one of the videos that I watched was from... Um, a Velveeta room open mic mm. and one of I think this is where I got I got the the Molly Ivins uh, vision in, in my head was you talked about and I, I don't remember a whole lot of the details I'm just remembering the feeling that I got uh, mm. you were talking about guns oh yeah and I thought oh my gosh he's gonna go there he's gonna kind of push the audience and you know you're on that 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 club is on sixth street you know yeah. it's probably liberal mecca and i'm thinking mm. oh my god he's gonna go there but you like went just shy of you know being okay i'm just gonna be kind of gross about this you're like you know a second amendment pro gun kind of person you oh, were no, you mean. went just shy of that and what what tactic you did to kind of pull back from that what seemed to be the direction you were going, you pull back and you got everybody on your side. And I'm mm. like, wow, I, you don't see a lot of that when somebody goes into like a hot button issue 
it manages to appeal to both crap both sides of a, a political issue and bring them together no oh, thank you are you talking about the uh joker i talking about my son uh, storming up the stairs i don't think it was that okay I, yeah like i said no. i don't remember the details it, you know i watched it last week yeah. which means it's gone okay. <laughs> <laughs> no i've noticed that uh uh, especially with conservative, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, give conservatives a bad rap as far as comedy goes because a lot of them, uh, I don't know. It, it, I've noticed that conservative rooms, they will laugh at themselves if you tell a good mm-hmm. joke. If you word it right and you mm-hmm. do it right, they will laugh at it. And, and that's the thing, too. I always consider myself more of a moderate, to be honest. But uh, it's uh, if you're not making fun of both sides, then you're kind of being hacky. You know, because yeah. both sides do dumb shit all the time. And if you can't make fun of both sides, I'm not talking about being mean on either way. Sure. But uh, I mean, I have Trump jokes that I've told in conservative rooms that just kill, you know, yeah. and uh, it's just, it's according to how you, I had a Bernie Sanders joke that I loved telling in <laughs> Austin. I loved it because it was, it, it, it was a great punchline and it was a well-written joke, but it would never get a laugh in Austin. And I would just relish in the fact that it didn't get a laugh. I loved it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it would just, yeah, it would just piss off the crowd. As, as I was talking to Tremaine about it. I ran it past him and uh, he's like, cause you know, Tremaine worked on the uh, Bernie campaign and uh, I ran the joke by him and he was uh-huh. like, He's like, it's funny, but it hurts, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear Tremaine saying that too. <laughs> I even had a re- I had a recording of it when I did it at Fallout. And I I because you know, Fallout was a three-minute sets, I killed for the first two minutes. And then I told that Bernie joke, and you could just hear the air leave the oh. room. And uh, but it was beautiful. I loved it. And because uh, at the end, of it, I, I, right after I tell the puns, because the whole joke was based on the fact that millennials didn't show up uh, and, so, you know, as much as they did in 2016. And so what I said was Bernie reminds me of that grandpa. You know, he, he comes to the house and he uh, promises the kids everything they want. But then whenever it's time to visit him, they don't show up. And uh, and it would just that line right there when people realized what i was talking about it would just get quiet and i was like yeah i feel the burn you know and, then I'd walk <laughs> off. and i played that for amy whenever i came home from fallout and she was like oh my god you could just hear the air leave the room when you said that and i was like yeah it's beautiful i love it <laughs> yeah there's you know there's a, a particular talent um it's a, it may be uh, I guess it's it's more notable with saying that you want to uh, you get more. Uh, it's to your benefit if you can learn how to write clean jokes. If you're naturally raunchy or or lewd right. or whatever, you get to work different skill sets if you can make yourself work clean, and mm-hmm. it also opens up different audiences for oh, you and, yeah. and, and I, the, the, the same could be said for learning how to write political jokes that um mm. you know aren't just insult one side insult the other side it's yeah. you know, finding those funny themes along all sides and and bringing bringing a larger audience to you so that's no, that's great no, that I, I had a I had a transition that used to hit so well it, it, it's one of those jokes that had a shelf life that they filmed Fear of the Walking Dead out here in Maynard for two seasons. And so I have a bit about that. 
And then the transition that I would use was speaking of the walking dead. Have anybody been watching, has anybody been watching the democratic national convention, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and that would get, that would get laughs here in Austin. I mean, sure. it was just, it's just, like I said, you can make fun of both sides. You yeah. can, man. It's, de- it's definitely possible. And if I just, I don't like it when I, I saw a comic once that came on stage, it's like, if you're a Trump supporter, fuck you. I hate you. Like you just lost like 60% of the crowd in Texas, you know, good job. You know? Yeah. So uh, there's, it's, there's certain ways to do it as well. And, and, uh, and what you were asking earlier about, uh, you know, getting into comedy and writing jokes for my first set and everything. I, I didn't, realize what was going on until I just started hanging out around comics and I would start asking questions and there's certain comics I just put myself in their back pocket and just hit them up. I probably hit a, a couple of them up so many times they blocked me on Facebook I'm sure <laughs> but uh, I just I was always, I got that from the military it's like it comes back to find somebody who knows what they're doing and ask them how to do it you yeah. know and uh and it's taken time, but uh, I've gotten some tips that uh, helped me at the beginning that I still use that help me with my writing and everything else. Mm-hmm. Before COVID, you were starting to hit a stride and you and Amy had started your production company. Yeah. Um, what was it that motivated you to A, start the production company and B, partner with your wife on this? Because now that means you really can't escape each other ever. <laughs> <laughs> I've been stuck with her for 17 years. I'm not going anywhere, man. Now, yeah, she actually started wanted to start the production company because I wasn't getting booked at all in Austin. And uh, so she's like, well, fuck them. If they don't want to book you, then I'll start booking you. And uh, so she got about three rooms. And then that's, but that, that actually helped so much because booking comics, you get to hang out with them and you get to know them a little bit better. And then they get to see you go up and, then you start getting booked on other shows and it kind of went from there and we went from i was only getting booked in her rooms to where i was getting booked everywhere else and every now and then i'd do one of her rooms you know and uh, everybody always calls it our production company i smoke weed and tell jokes she runs the business <laughs> i don't even i have no qualms with that i have no reservation i'm not one of those guys that's like oh i gotta make more than my wife i always said dude if you make five times more than me i will be the happiest fucking bum in the world i don't care <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit of that drifter at heart still in your yeah, in your spirit yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a uh there's an australian term that a friend of mine told me and i cannot remember what it is right now man but it's the exact same thing as a drifter but uh but it's it's a drifter that is kind of a comedian yeah, he's always joking and making uh, stuff like that. i want I, I wish i could remember the term right now but <laughs> uh but no nah, with amy it's uh she'll never admit this but i taught her how to run a room she's never going to admit that uh, <laughs> but uh i showed her how to do it she took it and ran and she's much better much more. you know i've always noticed too that females uh female showrunners are the best showrunners i i don't care what anybody says Women run shows better than men. I said it there. All right. For the record. Yeah, for the record. I love working (laughs) with female producers, man, because they don't take any shit. They they are they have to put up with it all the time. And so if you come in there starting shit, they'll just put you in your place real quick, man. Uh And I love that. I I absolutely love that. Every show that I've uh, has a female showrunner that I've ever done, man, it's uh it's on time. You get paid. Uh, everything works the way it's supposed to. Uh, you get you get around the, uh, uh, you know, some of the not all the guys, but the, there are the guys that it's the bro club, you know, and uh, 
it's like i was talking to another female comic about that and she's like yeah it's almost like we care about the comedy (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's like she's like it's a showcase not a bro case Uh, how did you spend covid as a comedian Uh, i well man you know i've actually uh, i'm one of the comics that everybody hates i've been going up again since last august uh i did zoom for a while i hate zoom i can't i (laughs) I really do man i i get that i get that it has a place it does i mean i have some friends that have made some amazing connections through zoom Sure. And uh, and I, it just wasn't for me, man. I just uh, it, doing Zoom felt like going to Mr. Tramps again. I just didn't like it. Just, it really <laughs> the same thing, man. And well, uh, I know you did our show, and I just love that you built a stage for it. Like you were all uh, in on it, which yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> such commitment. <laughs> uh, your show was fun. It was. I've done a. I, I did a few though that were just just. Oh my god, they were awful, but. <laughs> Uh, but I did. Uh, I've been doing VR comedy for a while now. I really enjoy doing that. Uh, the, the you know the VR headsets, the Oculus yeah. headsets. Uh, so I've had a few comics over to do it. Uh, a couple of them liked it. A couple of them uh, were like, "Yeah, it's all right." And a couple of them loved it. Um, but now I did. I started doing shows again last August, and I always it. It always annoyed me with the uh, comics talking about it on Facebook. You know, like, oh, you can't do shows because you're going to kill your grandma. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to do a Zoom. Oh, you can't do Zoom. That's not real comedy. Yeah. Like, what, what am I supposed to do then? You know, and then they're like, oh, you got to follow the CDC guidelines. And so go follow all the CDC guidelines and go above and beyond even. And then they still get on to you for going and doing a show. It's like, all right, well, you know what? I'm just going to do my thing. If it makes people mad, it makes people mad. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm fully vaccinated now, so I'm not worried about it anymore. I mean, I didn't catch it whenever uh, it was going on. Uh, what? Oh, we still take precautions. I got my manager over here telling me what to say. <laughs> so no, we still take all the precautions. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a very tough time to oh, to perform last fall, and um, the last couple of people that I've, I've had interviews with you know it's one of those things where you realize there are people that are going to be are, are trying to move forward yeah. and you know now that we're I, I think I called it the second wave is happening right now because you have all the comics that were being conservative and not doing not going on stage now they're all coming back and they're yeah. putting on shows and it's like <laughs> you know there's so much comedy happening Oh, definitely. Uh, right yeah. now, it's, it's now, pretty even intense. When, even when I was up in Colorado recently, uh, every comic I talked to in Colorado brought up how Austin's taken off. And uh, every uh, all the comics I know, I have friends in New York and California and everywhere else, and all of them have been bringing up, dude, what is going on in Austin with comedy? And yeah. uh, and we had a great scene before. You know, I know there's a big blow up <laughs> yeah. recently. And yeah. We had a great scene before, but people left Austin and went to LA and New York to make it. Now people are moving to Austin to make it. You yeah. know, it, it's a big difference. It's a, it reminds me of uh, the 90s with the grunge scene in Seattle. You know, how it just blew up all of a sudden. And I'm sure it, it grew there, you know, like the locals knew about it for a long time. 
but for the rest of the world, Seattle just seemed to blow up out of nowhere as the, the capital of grunge music. And Austin is reminding me a lot of that as far as comedy now. Yeah. Well, you, uh, if I am, if I've done any decent research at all, you are about to head out on a tour. I mean, yeah, it's a, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't like calling it a tour because, uh, uh, we were walking past the place the other day, man, and they had the speakers outside like Velveeta, and they were introducing a comic, and they were like, she just got done with a tour of Dallas, and I looked at them and she did she get on the Mixmaster? I mean, what the hell is that all about? But uh, I'm going, I got a good run coming up. I, I, that's, uh, I'm going, uh, me and uh, Roderick McDaniel are going to Amarillo for two nights in a row. Uh, we have two shows there, back to back. And then after that, it's to Vegas for five days for a 420 Comedy Festival. And then back to Austin, he's got to get to a wedding, and I have a show here uh, with Era. And then from there, it's Colorado, and then from Colorado over to Georgia. And we're trying to hook up something in Oklahoma City and Dallas right now, too. So it's uh, I think it's 14 shows out of state in uh, 32 days. So it's a good run. It's a yeah. really good run. Yeah. Um... Where do I want to go from from that? Uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like anything makes you really nervous. Is there anything that makes you nervous about uh, heading out on the, on the road and doing? Uh, yeah, doing a, is uh, this your first festival? I, it, yeah, actually, this is my okay. first festival. But now, what makes me nervous about leaving is I gotta leave all three kids with Amy. Uh, ah. hopefully, hopefully, I have three kids when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, nah, I don't, I, you know, honestly, I don't get nervous on stage anymore. I, uh, I did, a, a show during quarantine out at the urban campground, uh, urban campground weekend, I think it's what it's called, but it's, uh, it's, uh, all, uh, African-American, uh, camping weekend and I got booked for it and I walked in and I am the only white guy there. And, and it was, it was interesting because uh, the security guard asked me where my wristband was. I was like, Oh, so that's what that feels like. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's a fucked up feeling, man. I can't believe you single me out. Cause I'm white. You fucker. But, uh, and uh, I walked past these three older black women and they just stared me down. Like, Oh yeah, you let one in. There goes the whole neighborhood. Oh. You know? <laughs> No, it was, it was it was interesting being on the other side of the glass. It really was. I, I talked to a few friends about it, and uh, but I had a great time there, man. Uh, everybody treated me good. It was it wasn't bad or anything. I had a great set, but there was about 350 people in the crowd. And uh, when I got up, when I got up on the stage and looked around, I was just like, "All right, here we go," you know. And uh, went up and had a great set and hung out for a little bit afterwards. And it was it was a really good time. So it 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 doesn't really. It, it, crowd size nothing like that really intimidates me it uh yeah. i mean put me up in ten thousand, then we'll talk you know but it, <laughs> uh, it's uh one of those things it's i've gotten past that point to where it's uh i mean i gotta get my game face i gotta get in the zone that kind of stuff don't get me wrong and uh and i do have nerves going up but once that first joke hits it's it's on you know and next thing i know i've done 20 minutes 30 minutes 45 minutes in and uh I've gotten to the point to where I get, I've gotten my set down to the point to where uh, I'll be 35 minutes into it. And I'm like, did I forget something? You know, this is going too smoothly. Did I forget that huh. I mess it? You know, and uh, I'll think that while I'm talking, I'm thinking in my head, going back over my set list, freaking out. But my, my, my manner on stage is just calm and collective. And 
it's weird. It, it, I've told Amy that about this a few times, how uh, it's weird how my brain has learned to engage two different things at the same time. Like I can think back on my set and I can even picture my set card while I'm in my mind. But at the same time, out of my mouth, is this this really long story and I'm not missing anything. And huh. it's really interesting how that's worked out. Okay, I just wanted to make sure there's yeah. a manager comment there. Mm. Not um, so once you get back from uh, let's see, where do I want to go? No, I don't want to go there. Um, one of the things that I like about you, besides your your on stage performance, is you have, and I know you have a, a Facebook. Uh, comedy page that you want people to go to and I haven't made the distinction between the two like you, you as a you as the you know individual versus you as as the the comedy Facebook page but one of the things that I like about your feed is your stories about your kids or what's happening you know at home and I want to know do you do you ever think that maybe down the road you're going to write something because you are such a good storyteller um, and you you know you give us these little glimpses in writing and i just wonder do you ever th see yourself writing a book I, I don't know i've never been really big book reader i mean i, I don't have a problem reading don't get me wrong i can yeah. read <laughs> 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 uh, amy's the reader in the family yeah. she's uh, she's a voracious reader she really is i uh I just get really, I, I can pick up a tech manual for a machine and read it all the way through and I'm good to go. Most people fall asleep reading that kind of stuff. But <laughs> as far as uh, picking up a book and reading it, I've never been really big on that, man. Uh, it's as far as writing one, I actually have an idea for a, a book that I'd like to write, but it has nothing to do with my life. It's just something mm -hmm. that I thought of. And, uh, and I have some ideas for some skits. I just don't, have anybody that i know that knows how to make them and i'm too lazy to ask around but uh <laughs> it's uh now that writing is uh something that i would like to get into later uh but i don't know as far as a book uh, and yeah I, I actually amy just reminded me that i do have a comic book that i've been working on too about huh. the kids and dad it's called the dad comic the dad huh. comic and uh it's i got about uh, man, I think I have about 20 cartoon strips made up, but uh, it's it's something down the road that I could look into. Yeah, there's it. Amy always tells me I need to write an autobiography, but I just don't really have any interest in that. I, uh, I don't know. I it's like doing these interviews, man. I, I'm, I'm not someone that really likes to brag, but yeah. but I'll talk if people ask me questions, I'll talk. But. Sure, well. You know, we can, we can, uh, it, it'll be recorded for, for history, but I, <laughs> I'm a religious listener to the, to the Texas standard. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It airs on, on a KUT and it is a Texas focused uh, show. And mm -hmm. at the end, I think it, it happens weekly uh, at, at the end of the week, they air a segment by somebody who has like this just really warm and welcoming Texas twang. Mm -hmm. And they're usually telling a story. And uh, when I was listening to the, the videos, uh, watching the videos, and I was getting re-familiarized with your voice, I'm like, 
oh, I could fast forward, you know, many years into your, your comedy career when you're, you know, just dabbling in many things. I could imagine hearing you telling a Texas story uh, on, on the radio or, or, you know, something broader like that. Uh, and I, I, I don't know who the current voice is, but I know he, he's kind of verboten, but uh, Garrison Keillor was kind of known as a national yeah. storyteller. And I, I imagine that uh, as something uh, in the future for you, minus, you know, all the gross stuff yeah. <laughs> that he's done. <laughs> no, it's, uh, Amy's been trying to get me into voiceover work for a long time. I just, that, I don't even know where to get started on that. Maggie Mayfield does it. Uh, yeah. Maggie Mayfield does that and teaches a class and I talked to her about it. And uh, now I always, I, you're not the first person that said that about uh, Texas stories and being a yeah. Texan and being a storyteller uh, to me and every time they tell me I like the uh, Sarah Garza out of Laredo I was she's like I can imagine that with that Texas accent and deep voice you got it was like I have an accent and she's like are you fucking serious oh god dude <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's just that right balance like it's not too deep and and uh hard to understand because your pacing is slow enough mm. that it's like that's that's the voice I want to hear when I hear like a, a true Texas tale. So now, yeah, I actually, okay. uh, last time I did Castro's when I hosted out there, I had uh, I outside smoke cigarette and there were two guys out there and they were from South America. And he, one of the guys told me, he was like, the thing I loved of, he said he had real broken English, but he said, the thing I loved about you the most is that you were so slow paced with what you're saying that I understood everything you said. He's like, I didn't have to try to keep up with you. I didn't have to try to figure out what you were said because you said it too fast. He's yeah. like, he said, you just kept at a steady pace and you kept, and your voice is deep enough to where I could understand every scene. He's like, and that never happens because he's like, I, I he said, I can speak English. He's like, but it's kind of like with me with Spanish. Like I, I can read Spanish, but I cannot speak Spanish. Uh, if I, uh, I know enough to get my ass in trouble. I'll tell you that much. But uh, it's uh, I understood exactly where he's coming from because uh, I've done it. I've had the exact same experience with Spanish. So that was really cool. That was one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. You know, it, uh, you always want people to come up and tell you you're funny and stuff like that. But when people comment on your delivery or on your uh, stage presence, that's always really cool to me. I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we're gonna. This has been fantastic. We're gonna start winding down. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you or your manager want to make sure that we <laughs> cover? <laughs> I can't think of anything really. I mean, uh, we. Uh, I mean, we didn't say anything. We didn't touch on the adoptions at all. Uh, but uh, oh well, I mean, you want to talk about those? I assume not of your oh. pets, your no, coterie yeah, yeah, of no. pets. Troublemaker uh, pets. Oh, the dog, the dog, the husky costs more than two kids combined. So, it's, uh, as far as the adoption goes, <laughs> but no, it's a. Uh, we adopted all three kids, and uh, yeah, I had a friend tell me the other day. He's like, "You didn't uh, adopt kids; you hired a team of writers." <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly, you did. You did. Yeah, I had no I idea. I had no idea that they, they were all adopted. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, that happens a lot. That happened uh, even last night in one of the comics I was talking to. And I was like, do you ever listen to my set? <laughs> I, mean, I, I talked about haven't. that for like eight minutes. But uh, 
no it's a uh, it's cool because a lot of people meet the kids and uh they you know look just like us and uh it's weird how the, they really do like the, our middle child cheyenne is amy's mini me and uh, <laughs> and i posted a picture the other day of me at two years old and my son at three years old and we look a lot alike it's really huh. it's it's really weird the way it is uh, the way it worked out and we've had uh we finalized the last adoption in 2013 what year 2013 okay. the end of 2012 yeah the end of 2012 so we've had them all three for nine years now and i i can't imagine not having them around honestly uh -huh. it's uh and like i said we don't even i i can't even remember the last time i called them you know that it's probably I don't think I've ever called them my adopted kids. Uh, they've always been my kids. From the day that we met them. Yeah, from the day we met them. Uh, the day that we met Cheyenne, uh, Starla and Cheyenne, we were worried that they weren't going to get along, and we were at the CPS office, and we lost them. And I went and found them in the break room, and they had stuck the baby doll in the microwave and were watching them go around. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, these two are going to be these two are going to yeah. be good. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, reading the your your adventures from parenting have been uh, a lot of fun <laughs> to see over the years. <laughs> you know, and now that you mentioned that, uh, when you were asking about it, I ever thought about doing a stand up. Whenever I we uh, first got uh, all through, well, Starla at first, we had Starla for three years before we got the other two, and uh, I would always post stuff about them, stuff that was funny to me. And I had so many people who were like, "Dude, you need to oh, you need to start a blog." You know, you need to write these down. You need to write a book. You need to, and so that probably has a lot to do with when I was finally like, no, I'm going to try the stand up thing. And uh, I've just been told that for years, you know, and uh, that, you know, what I was writing was funny. And it, it wasn't like I was trying to be funny. I was just, this is what happened just now. Can you believe this shit? You yeah. know, kind of thing. And, uh, but like I said, I've always been a storyteller type person, though. I was always the guy at the keg party, you know, getting drunk and hanging out around the keg, guarding the keg. <laughs> and uh, telling stories and uh so it, it it's kind of been a that when you ask if i've ever thought about this i guess it was kind of just a natural progression into it and uh i can't imagine doing anything else now and i've thought about too but you know i've thought about for man i wish i'd start a stand-up 10 years ago i'd be so much further along that kind of but then i don't think i was ready i really don't i don't think i was ready for stand-up i don't think that i would have done well i don't think i would have liked it uh and uh so everything happened kind of like i said it just progressed into it yeah at the right time yeah definitely okay well did you touch on veterans yes we talked we talked about being a veteran Foundation. oh my manager is telling me to <laughs> talk about something else so and uh, now we uh we do a we've done a yearly fundraiser for a group called the chad o foundation uh it's a uh, veterans organization where they uh they uh, provide counseling for veterans with PTSD and veterans or active duty, and they don't charge anything for it. And they have a psychiatrist that um, charges way less than what she usually charges to do it. And uh, it's a great organization that we love working with them. Uh, uh, when we do their shows, everything goes to them. Every penny that we make at the show goes to them. The comics know that coming in. And uh, we didn't never have a problem finding comics that are uh, cool with doing that. Uh, right. Anything else, ma'am? No? You good? <laughs> don't have any other bullet points you want me to hit on? 
done recording, we'll have a conversation. <laughs> All right. Well, Shannon, let us let's wrap up with a closing question for you, and then you'll have a chance to tell us all of your socials and and everything that you want to promote officially. Um, one word to describe your future. <laughs> Uh, eventful. You don't even have to leave the house for that to be the, the case. No, no, I don't. <laughs> Not at all. All right. Fantastic. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Shannon Muggridge. Tell us where we can find you on social media and let us know about your upcoming uh, shows and projects and anything else. Uh, it's, is it Shannon underscore Muggridge? Yeah, Shannon underscore Muggers. I got to ask Amy everything. It's uh, Shannon, <laughs> Shannon underscore Muggers on Instagram. Shannon Muggers Comedy on Facebook. And Twitter. I heard that. Yep. Yeah, it's Shannon underscore Muggers on Twitter too. Yeah, she uh, walked <laughs> over to the desk and got me one of my business cards. So. <laughs> Okay, your manager is on top of everything. We know oh, this. Is. Yeah, <laughs> we know is. this. <laughs> she used to be my secret weapon, man. Now everybody's figured it out. Now I hit me <laughs> up for the work. Now I'm like, it, it, it bugs me every time that she's talking to some. I represent this person, this person, this person. I'm like, and Shannon Muggridge. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, Lando was over here and he was talking to her about a gig and I was and he was leaving. I was like, hey, Lando, whenever you uh, get a chance, I want to speak to that manager you got, man. She seems to be busting her ass for you. And he just looked at me, <laughs> he looked at me and he looked at her and he's like, yeah, she's right over there. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Shannon got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham presents Shannon Muggridge. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Valerie.